is at least one bit of good news for the Virginia Cavalier football program. We will get to that right now before diving into the more unfortunate stuff to start things off in covering the Commonwealth. Yep, we're copying this idea. Covering the Commonwealth, a look at the locally interesting teams and stories from the experts who cover them. Let's start with the Virginia Cavaliers. With Virginia Cavaliers respected reporter, Jerry Ratcliffe.com founder, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, a pleasure to speak with you. It was great seeing you this past Saturday up at Scott Stadium, even if the outcome was painful to watch. We will get to that momentarily. But the news coming out within the last half hour that Mike Collins, the running back who was the survivor of that tragic shooting uh, a little over a year ago on grounds, was to the surprise of nobody and to the justification of everybody named the League Award winner for the ACC for the Brian Piccolo Award for Courage. Um, If nothing else, it's one shining note on what was obviously a not-so-fun weekend for Virginia. Well, that's true, Ed. Um, I can't think of anyone more fitting to give that award to than Mike Hollins. He's uh, the epitome of courage in my mind, the way he... Ran, turned around and ran back to the bus trying, hoping to save teammates and, and ended up getting shot twice himself But and then to come back and, and have the kind of season he did under all those circumstances was remarkable but um, yeah, hats off to him he's the most deserving candidate I could possibly think of Meanwhile, we pivot away from that to the game itself 55-17 Virginia Tech destroys Virginia in the season finale for the Virginia football program. How much did it look like Virginia Tech wanted to make a statement that they were not only the best team, but really that they're going in one direction and the the UVA football program, they are either going in the wrong direction or no direction at all? Well, I guess it all started back in the summer when Pry was telling people at the ACC kickoff that this was Virginia Tech State and they wanted to own it. And when Tony Elliott was presented with that quote, he said, well, you know, that's what he's supposed to say. We want to do the same thing. But Tech's been very aggressive in that respect, and and that's what you should be. And I think think you have to make that your number one goal. And Virginia, I think, you know, says that it wants to do it, but saying it and then making actions toward that are two different things. And that would probably partially explain what happened Saturday is that the game just meant more to Virginia Tech than it did to Virginia. I know that Tech needed the win to qualify for a bowl game, but if you're Virginia, you're thinking, wow, we can't go to a bowl game. This is our bowl game. Let's see if we can do something to knock our rivals out of a bowl game. And we didn't see that mentality on the field, and that's that's inexplicable. How much does this performance by Virginia erase any kind of momentum that may have been felt over the second half of the season? I think it depends on what segment of the fan base you're a part of. Uh, I think some people realized in the big picture that the program made strides. Uh, They performed well, except in two games. Unfortunately, they were both in the second half of the season, but they also played their best football in the second half of the season as well. So uh, I think in their minds, uh, progress was shown, move ahead. 
put this game behind you. The other half of this segment would like to see heads roll, and uh, this gave them a, uh, more of an excuse in their minds to see some some of that happen. I, I don't anticipate anything like that happening, but um, it just shows you how this fan base is divided. No doubt. I mean, that seems to be the sentiment where the Virginia Cavalier football team and the fans are right now at Virginia compared to Virginia Tech. How hot is the seat for, if not Tony Elliott, the assistant coaches that are around this program heading into the offseason, or do you believe that it's not all that hot? I mean, I don't think we're going to see any changes. I truly don't. Um, I think it's going to – the seat will be definitely warm going into next season, and the, the temperature will either go up or down depending on the results. I think another bad year would probably signal the end of the Tony Elliott era, but I think if he can advance the program next year, um, get a few more wins under the belt, maybe go to a bowl game. Um, But I think one of the keys for that in between is trying to retain the good players that he does have in the program and prevent, you know, try to discourage them from entering the transfer portal. There's a lot of rumors flying around out there about some of their better players being approached. So um, I I think that's got to be the number one mission for the next couple of weeks. No doubt it is, and more of that development will transpire as we keep up with it from jerryratcliffe.com founder and contributor Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, last one for you. We will pivot to a much more uplifting note for Virginia fans, at least, and that is the basketball team. They were annihilated by Wisconsin last Monday night. They did bounce back with a victory against West Virginia, albeit uh, a nail-biter of sorts. 56-54 to was the final uh, after a couple of late free throws, one from Reese Beekman and the other from Ryan Dunn. Your concern about Virginia basketball though coming out of this, is it more profound given that in both games they were drastically out-rebounded? Well, that's definitely a weakness that has popped up uh, going back to the Florida game. And it was kind of something expected, I guess, because it's, it's not the biggest team that Tony's put on the floor for sure. They need uh, Leon Bond and Ryan Dunn, I think, to be more part of the rebounding uh, battle. They're two of the guys who, even though they're not uh, seven-footers, they they certainly can leap and they have long wingspans. And uh, they're going to have to depend on them and the guards to help with the rebounding a little bit more. But I, I think the thing that has hurt them maybe even more so far as that the tutors that they brought in aren't shooting the ball as well as everybody anticipated. I, I think that will come, but they may struggle a little bit until they do because if you have that and lack of rebounds, it's awfully hard to overcome that. They'll probably lose a couple more games in the coming weeks, uh, maybe even Wednesday at home against Texas A&M, who's, I think, ranked 12th in the country. Uh, but, you know, they're, they've got some warts that have been exposed, and people will try to take advantage of that until Virginia can find a way to fix it. And some of those things 
may be fixable. Some of them may not be. It's going to be interesting to see how Tony uh, Bennett addresses those in the coming weeks. JerryRatcliffe.com founder, Jerry Hootie Ratcliffe. Hootie, a pleasure as always to speak with you. Thank you again for your time today. Much appreciated, and we look forward to chatting again. Absolutely, Ed. Great seeing you Saturday, too. Likewise. JerryRatcliffe.com founder and contributor, Jerry Ratcliffe. Now to the Virginia Tech Hokies. Hokie, Hokie, The other side of that 55-17 to demolition in Charlottesville, or North Blacksburg, with David Cunningham of TechSideline.com. He's with us here in the Fast Lane. David, a pleasure to speak with you. Did you imagine that that game on Saturday would unfold as emphatically as it did for Brent Pry and the Virginia Tech Hokies? Is, uh, you now are gracious enough to grace us while you are in the magic kingdom of Disney down in Orlando. Hi, Ed. Yes, I am. Yeah, down here, this is my quote-unquote off day, if we ever uh, in sports get an off day uh, after covering basketball all weekend down here in Orlando. Uh, I had the pleasure of watching the football game on Saturday on television with some of the members of the Virginia Tech uh, men's basketball support staff and, and obviously great people. And I was surprised. I mean, I mean taken aback by how easily it seemed Virginia Tech just rolled UVA on Saturday. Uh, I did not expect I expected it to be close. I expected it to be maybe a touchdown game. 55-17, most points Virginia Tech has ever scored. Most points, I should say, any team has scored in that rivalry. Virginia Tech came out of the gates and just steamrolled UVA, both mentally, physically, uh, Tech did everything right, and, and I think that's a little hat tip to, to Brent Pry and and this staff for a getting the team ready to play, but b the team going out and executing. It, it, you know, it's two parts or, or multiple parts at, at that matter to this battle to to putting a win like that together. And and Tech didn't fool around or anything. Tech didn't um, Tech didn't walk in there and just think it was going to be easy. Tech went in there and. Before UVA even had a chance, it was 31-0. Just absolutely utter domination by Virginia Tech. Uh, I don't know if you saw Brent Price's tweet this morning, uh, drinking coffee with the Commonwealth Cup uh, in his office. But, man, the Hokies are feeling really good right now. There were a lot of questions coming into, into Saturday's game about what would happen if Tech lost. Would it be a successful season? Tech does not have to worry about that question anymore. They most definitely do not. It was as emphatic as the final score of 55-17 indicated, maybe even more emphatic than that for Virginia Tech. How much did they want to make a statement because of Anthony Calandria and Jonas Sinker using the whole, when we beat Virginia Tech, how much of this was bigger than that, that the coaching staff in Charlotte's and Blacksburg maybe senses an opportunity or in heading into the game senses an opportunity to put their foot down and say, we are going to further distance ourselves from Virginia when it comes to the best team in the Commonwealth. Yeah, and I think that motivation was a lot of it. Anthony Calandria, a freshman, spoke on a rivalry he had never played in. And whether or not he was right to do that, Virginia Tech took offense. And as one would in a rivalry like this, um, in any game for that matter, but a rivalry, there's just more juice, right? And um, I, I'm not surprised at all by the way Virginia Tech responded. Those those few roughing the passer penalties, well-deserved for Virginia Tech. I don't think J.C. Price or, or Brent Pryor or any of, anybody on that staff really cared because Tech got the job done, and that's the most important thing. Tech won the football game. Tech rattled Anthony Clandre, and that's that. They did. 
It was emphatic in a good way for Virginia Tech. There were not as many good vibes yesterday, though, for Virginia Tech men's basketball. An emphatic loss at the hands of Florida Atlantic. What's the bigger concern for Mike Young coming out of that game? Is it how in the second half of that game, Virginia Tech's weaknesses were exposed? Or is it more the fact that when the shots didn't go down in the first half, it seemed like the defensive effort backed off in the second half? And I think it's a kind of combination of both, but I would lean to the second. I don't think, as I wrote today, that anything is to worry about in terms of Virginia Tech not making shots. This is only the ninth time in Mike Young's 131 games that Virginia Tech has shot worse than 35%. It's a fewest three-pointers a team is a Mike Young team has ever made in his 131 games. The fewest was three, both with, both with, uh, which both occurred last season. Virginia Tech does not have off-shooting nights like this. This is a rarity. What concerns me, and what was a little bit of a red flag, is how easily it felt like Virginia Tech was able to be pushed over. Hunter Couture, you could tell he was frustrated. You could tell Sean Padula was frustrated. When shots didn't go, Virginia Tech didn't slow down and, and be methodical and try to find ways to, to get buckets, at least in the second half. It rushed shots, and it showed on the defensive end that the effort just slowly faded away. That is a, a little bit alarming. Um, this is a, a pretty veteran bunch, and it just seemed like, you know, Mike Young called that timeout around the 16-and-a-half, 17-minute mark uh, in the midst of a 7-0 run uh, to start the second half for Florida Atlantic, hoping he'd get his team back in the game. And Tech had less juice, I think, coming out of that timeout than when it went in. And when, when a team is just that sort of, I don't want to say non-responsive, but just out of it, I'm not sure there's not that much you can do. And that is a little bit worrying to me. That, that Tech was just that non-responsive a little bit and, and that just out of it. But there's a lot of basketball to be played. Tech has Auburn on Wednesday, ACC opener against Louisville on Sunday. A lot of basketball to be played. I think this is a good Virginia Tech basketball team, and I think Thursday and Friday's results against Boise State and Iowa State, two big wins where Tech played good defense, I think that shows it. You just have to put everything together for 40 minutes, and when the shots don't fall, you have to find a way to play good defense on the other end. And Virginia Tech didn't do that. But we'll find out more on Wednesday. Uh, and I'll be in Auburn. I'll be in Baton Rouge for the women on Thursday. Uh, obviously, they picked up two big wins over the weekend, close ones against Kansas and Tulane. So lots of good uh, hoops coverage and football coverage, of course, over at TechSideMind.com. Those are games that we will discuss next week, along with possible transfer portal news, since that starts getting hot and heavy as well. David Cunningham of TechSideline.com today in the fast lane at the real DCUN A. On Twitter and Instagram, David, travel safely, enjoy the Magic Kingdom, and your trips to Auburn and Baton Rouge as well. I appreciate it, Ed, and uh, I'll talk to you next Monday, hopefully after, uh, well, I guess we'll know Virginia Tech's bowl destination at that point, and hopefully after two big wins for Virginia Tech in men's and women's hoops. Now to the Liberty Flames. The Liberty Flames, a more convincing than the final score indicated, 42-28 to victory at UTEP this past Saturday. A man who was on the call for that and joining us now in the fast lane, Alan York, play-by-play broadcaster for the Liberty Flames Sports Network. Alan, a pleasure to speak with you. I hope you and your uh, girls and your wife all had a wonderful Thanksgiving and then a wonderful time down uh, in El Paso. Certainly the win helps for Liberty in that regard. Um, Even though it was 42-28, reasonable to say that that game was not as close as the final score indicated. You're exactly right, Ed. Good to be back on with you. Yeah, the fourth quarter, last five minutes, uh, UTEP 
scored a couple of touchdowns late. Liberty had a turnover, and then uh, you know on an onside kick, uh, you know, kind of uh, not only say turn the tides on the ball game, but uh, Liberty definitely dominated. Uh, FBS high, 411 yards rushing, uh, barely threw the ball at all under 30 yards, but didn't really need to. And uh, it was a good springboard coming up to Friday night's championship game against Mexico State. Indeed. It's a big one for the New Mexico State game on the horizon. Uh, for Liberty, the offense is dominant as they have been. How much do you believe that's going to control the game? How much is it the fact that the defense looks like they've been locked in the last couple of weeks? A necessary trade against a New Mexico State team that Chadwell admitted when he spoke with you after the game is not the same New Mexico State team that Liberty dispatched 33-17 about three months ago back at the beginning of September. Yeah, to, to put a, uh, underline your first point, the offense definitely has to take control uh, because Diego Pavia, the quarterback for New Mexico State, um, can dominate things offensively for them. So Liberty's done a great job, time of possession-wise, averaging 34 minutes a game with the ball, second in the country. Uh, they're going to have to continue that blueprint uh, to keep uh, Pavia off of the field. And now their backup quarterback, Eli Stowers, that's going to shift it into a hybrid kind of tight end role for them. So uh, they're getting all their athletes on the field to do what they can, and it's helped them uh, to finish second in Conference USA right behind Liberty. Shifting over from football, because the big game is New Mexico State this coming Friday uh, for Liberty for the Conference USA Championship, from the X's and O's to the meaning of it. How big of a win was it this past Friday against UTEP? How much was that tempered justifiably so by Jamie Chowell, who seemed to indicate afterwards that you kind of celebrate it, but you don't want to do it in the moment because you know what's awaiting on Friday? Well, you want to enjoy every win, and Liberty certainly did that. You know, those of those fans can watch the social media clips after the ball game. They had a uh, football fiesta in their locker room. Um, but it's a short week for everybody. You got to get locked back in uh, for the championship game. And I had a podcast with Conference USA earlier today. We talked just about emotionally how uh, excited these two teams are going to be entering the game on Friday. And you have to temper those because if you get too high, uh, sometimes you don't play as well. So I'm sure Coach Chadwell will have his team ready to go, but still excited for this game coming up on Friday. And what does it say about the Liberty Flames men's basketball team that we haven't had to discuss them much because they were a very businesslike look in their victory against Maryland Eastern Shore on Saturday to the point where there wasn't much to discuss in a good way because they took care of business as emphatically as they did. Yeah, they've certainly done that. Uh, Checkmark every game they played so far. Now, coming up this week, I'm sure you're going to be talking about it. Uh, Liberty heads down to Boca Raton uh, for a great kind of mid-major entertaining uh, three-team round-robin, if you will, with Charleston and FAU, who's ranked in the top 25. Uh, So Coach McKay has this team playing really good basketball, and they are as as locked in as the long team has been and maybe since that championship team in 1920 uh, this early in the season. Uh, So uh, football's getting a lot of headlines, rightfully so, but uh, Coach McKay has this team knocking on the door to the top 25, and uh, you get a couple of big wins down to Boca Raton, you might see Liberty uh, get into that top 25 maybe next week. Who knows? Alan York, play-by-play broadcaster, Liberty Flames, with us here in the Fast Lane. Alan, thank you for your time today. Much appreciated. We'll see you over at Liberty University on uh, Friday night for the COSA Championship game. All right.
Thanks, Ed. Appreciate it. Indeed. Alan York with us here in the Fast Lane when we return. We'll go a little overboard today with part two of covering the Commonwealth starting next, including the back-to-dominant JMU Dukes football team.